All right, well, we're jumping back into this series called Stand Firm. Believe it or not, we kicked this off the last week of January, and uh, we've been kind of in and out of it. We're going to wrap it up over the next three weeks, which includes today. Stand Firm, this is all about spiritual warfare. And I want to start out with a quote by great old Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. In fact, he made this during a sermon on this very text that we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 6 back on October 27th, 1861. All right, so can't beat Charles Spurgeon, so we're going to just join him here. Here's what he said. Like the Spartans, every Christian is born a warrior. It is his destiny to be assaulted. It is his duty to attack. Part of his life will be occupied with defensive warfare. He will have to defend earnestly the faith once delivered to the saints. He will have to resist the devil. He will have to stand against all his wiles and having done all, still to stand. So this, this whole series has been based in Ephesians chapter 6 that tells us that we are in spiritual battle. You know, and as a church, we believe that the best life, the, the fullest type of life that we were designed to have is found in Christ. And when we put our faith in Jesus, what happens is God places us into his family. We become sons and daughters of God. But here's something else that happens. We don't just get placed into his family. We step into a war zone. And some of you, depending on your family, you may be like, yeah, when you come into my family, it feels like a war zone. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, this as a family, the people of God, we step into spiritual battle. We are in the midst of war. And this is what Ephesians chapter 6 is all about. And so I just want to kind of review. We're going to read through Ephesians chapter 6 from verses 10 through 15. And we're going to kind of recap where we've been over the last number of weeks. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse number 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so we've, we've, we've seen Paul as he's laying out each of these pieces of armor and we've worked through piece by piece, week by week, and we've hit three of them. So the first piece was the belt of truth. Okay, so just to remind you, the belt, a belt on a Roman soldier was what held, held his whole uh, armor together. It was central, it was core, and it helped him to be prepared to fight. And so the belt that Paul tells us in our spiritual life, in our spiritual battle, it's the belt of truth. It's the truth of God's word that is at the core of who we are. It holds us together. It, it is the thing that allows us, the truth of God, to be able to fight the battle that we're in. So the belt of truth was piece number one. Then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And a breastplate protects the, the vital organs, the most vital being the heart, which is always, always under attack. The enemy is always after our heart. 
not because he's trying to necessarily win our affections to himself, but he's trying to, to draw our affection away from Christ. And so we need something to protect our hearts. And this breastplate is a breastplate of righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. We saw a number of weeks ago, it's what we call imputed righteousness, that we couldn't be holy enough or righteous enough on our own. We needed to be given to us. And so Christ came and he died and he was resurrected so that he could exchange his righteousness for our sin. And so this is the breastplate of righteousness. And then we talked about a third piece of armor. We spent two weeks on it. It was called the gospel, what I call the gospel shoes or gospel boots, gospel combat boots, which, which were kind of like, if you remember the illustration, like football cleats. They had spikes in these boots and it allowed you to have firm footing, but it also allowed you to move. And so our gospel shoes allow us to be rooted in the gospel and yet moving towards others with the truth of the gospel, which is what we've been left on earth to do is to take the good news to others. And so we're to strap on gospel shoes. Today, we add a fourth piece to the armor and that fourth piece is called the shield of faith. The shield of faith. You know, so I, I Googled the word, y'all know that I use Google a lot, right? Y'all probably do too. I, I decided to Google the word shield because I had in my mind a particular image that I was like, based on the, the times in which we're living, I know it's going to pop up when I type in shield. I don't know if any of y'all are with me. You know I'm a superhero nerd, right? You know I'm a Marvel nerd. I'm thinking in my mind one particular type of shield that appears in Marvel films. But it was a different type of shield. So if you're, I'm sorry, I'm geeking out with the Marvel geeks in the room, okay? Here is the shield that came up, first image when I Googled shield. I was not expecting that. This is SHIELD, which stands for Strategic Homeland, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I don't remember what the rest of it. It's this covert operation um, organization that was created to fight off superhuman villains and all this stuff, right? So that was the SHIELD that came up, which is a Marvel variation of SHIELD. But the SHIELD that I was thinking of, anybody with me? Captain America's SHIELD. It's Captain's shield, Cap's shield, right? Um, and part of the reason I think why I thought that, one, I'm just a Marvel geek, but number two, because our family uh, is really into a, a series right now on the Disney Channel called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Anybody else watching that? Anybody else? Okay, I, some of you are. I'm gonna admit it, all right? Um, so if you look at even this promo, at the very center of this whole series is the shield, it's, this is like an iconic item in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's all about this shield, okay? Um, those of you that are watching this are tracking with me. The rest of you, okay, we'll move on and I'll stop geeking out. But I just felt like it was interesting. Like, this, it's all about a shield. And we're talking about the shield of faith, the shield of faith. So the question that we have today is, man, what, what is this shield of faith? What is it all about? What is it for? I mean, if you think about a shield... A shield is a personal piece of armor that you hold in your hand or it's maybe on your arm or your forearm and it's to block close range weapons and it's also designed to protect from uh, projectiles like, like arrows, all right? So with that in mind, let's, let's, let's answer the question, what is this shield of faith that Paul's talking about? What's it for and why do we need it? 
All right, so Ephesians chapter six. Let's jump back there. I wanna look at verse number 16 and see what Paul says here. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so what is this shield and why is it so important that we take this thing up? Which, by the way, if you look at Ephesians 6, as it talks about those first three pieces of armor, it talks about putting those things on. It talks about putting on um, the verse number 13, um, verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So it talks about putting on, putting on, putting on these first three pieces. But as we move into this fourth piece, the language kind of shifts. Paul doesn't say put on, he says take up. These are pieces coming up here that we're going to take up, not put on. And so what is this shield of faith and why do we need it? So there's a couple big things that I want us to see in this passage. And the first thing is, is this. The enemy's attack is relentless. The enemy's attack is relentless. Can anybody say amen? The enemy is always on the prowl and he's always coming after us. Uh, the verse, verse 16, it speaks about all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, who is the evil one? The scripture uses this phrase over and over and it, it always refers to Satan, who is the leader of the spiritual forces of evil that we saw just a minute ago. If you look back at Ephesians 6, verse 12, it says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Satan, which literally just means adversary, he's the adversary, the enemy of God. He is the leader over these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He is the evil one. And I want to bring up this passage. We keep going back to it, but we can't ignore this. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, tells us about our enemy. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, not just God's adversary, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so we're told, verse 9, to resist him, firm in your faith. This is why we're talking about the shield of faith today. We're to resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering, the same things you're experiencing are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. The scriptures tell us that the enemy is relentless and he's always attacking us and Ephesians 6 tells us that his weapon, the weapon that he uses, are what, what this passage calls flaming darts. Right, so the idea is, is behind that is like missiles or arrows. Some, some translations call these flaming arrows or fiery darts. And these are, are set on fire and they're, they're coming after us. They're being shot at us. And this is a picture of what those may look like. But when you think back to, again, Roman times when Paul is writing this and he's, he's picturing a Roman soldier in, 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 in battle, 
And these, these burning, flaming arrows would be shot at you for really two reasons. One, to obviously devour you, but number two was to distract, was to distract you. Because you could imagine if you were in battle and there's these, these flying, flaming arrows landing all around you, it could cause you to panic and have some anxiety and to get your, get your mind off of the battle at hand. It could distract you from the war. And y'all, I think as we talk about the enemy's attack on us, it's relentless, it's, it's, it's constant, it's day in and, and day out. It's in the form of, these, of, of temptation and all these things that come at us. And y'all, I don't think that the way that the enemy, the enemy wants to devour us, but I think one of the ways, the primary ways that the enemy beats us down is he distracts us. We get distracted. And, and listen, y'all, in the culture and in the time and the world in which we are living right now, there's a lot of madness going on, right? But what, what is too easy for us to do as warriors in the battle is to get our eyes and our minds and our hearts preoccupied and distracted by all the flaming arrows and we lose sight of the war that we're actually fighting. And y'all, it's, man, when I look at all the things going on, when I look at, when I see Christians today, man, so many Christians, it's not that, it's not that they're like running away from God or that they're like living lifestyles of just unrepentant sin. I think the way that, that the enemy is having so much success in our day is because followers of Jesus are so distracted by stuff, stuff that may be important, but it's not the battle that we're called to fight. And so we're getting picked off left and right because the reality is that hell is coming after us every single day. It's unrelenting and it's fighting for our attention. And it reminds me of like modern day warfare when I think of like a sniper who's positioned above and who has just like got people in his crosshairs and just picking off one after the other after the other. We have this, this evil one who is leader over the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And man, he's just, he's looking to pick us off. Even if that just means distracting us with these flaming arrows. And, and I, think, I think about the enemy, Satan, and if, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with his background in the story of, of God, his original name was Lucifer, which meant light bearer. He was a created being by God. He was created to, to glorify God. And yet he turned, he fell. And at the core of his fall, maybe you know this, at the core of Satan's fall was pride. It was pride. He wanted the place of God. He wanted a throne for himself. He wanted what he didn't have. It was all about himself. And, and, and that, was, that was the original sin of, of Adam. And I believe at the core of Satan's attack on every single follower of Jesus is the very same thing that he fell to. It was pride. It's making everything about me and, and, and how I feel and my desires as opposed to and above and over what God has said is true. We elevate our, ourselves and our feelings and our desires above what God has said. And we, when we think of, 
of, of the, Satan attacking us, we think of temptation. And he clearly, he attacks us through temptation, but it's always temptation to pride, to put ourselves and our feelings and our desires above God and above God's desires for us. In fact, the very first dart, the very first fiery dart, flaming arrow that was fired against humanity by Satan came in the garden. In Genesis chapter three, verse one, when God has already given very clear instruction, God has, has given his people everything that they need to have a life full of joy and pleasure, but he's given them one restriction. Don't eat of this tree. And in Genesis chapter three, verse one, along comes this, this sneaky, subtle serpent who poses a question. And he says, is that really what God said? Did God really mean that you couldn't do this? And it was a, it was a temptation to put, put self above God and above God's clear commands and instruction. And that's always his MO, is to attack through pride and tempting us to put ourselves first. And this attack, again, the enemy's attack is relentless. And maybe you felt it this past week. The arrows are constantly flying at us. But here's the glorious truth that comes in Ephesians chapter six and throughout the scriptures is that God himself is our shield. God himself is our shield. Now, these, these shields in, in the Roman infantry, they weren't these small, round, light shields, okay? It wasn't like Cap's shield, unfortunately. I was pretty bummed when I discovered this, but it's, it's not like his shield that, you know, he can fling at people. They were, more, they were large, and they were heavy, and they were rectangular, all right? It was more like a door, all right? So this is kind of an image of what that might look like. So maybe four to six feet tall, two to three feet wide, it would cover the entire body of a soldier, Okay, not quite as cool as Captain America's shield. I mean, if you threw a door at somebody, it would probably do some damage, but it's not coming back to you. You get one shot at this. But this is what the, the Roman shield would, would look like. It was like a, a door, and it would cover their whole body. And, and one of the other things about these shields is that they were typically fireproof. Okay, because of, of what was coming at them, they would, these would be wooden shields that would be covered or coated in, in animal skins and soaked in water or treated with oil so that as soon as a flaming arrow would make contact, it would extinguish the flame. All right, that, that, that's what these shields were, were for. So if we think of this picture, if we think of this analogy, when it comes to the spiritual battle that we're in, the enemy's attack is relentless. But the way that we protect ourselves the way that we shield ourselves is not with more effort. It's not thinking better thoughts. It's not more willpower. It's not being a better person, a better version of you. The shield, the thing that protects us is God himself. God himself is our shield. And over and over in scripture, God declares himself to be such. In fact, in Genesis, let me take you through a few verses. Genesis 15, verse 1, God has called out to Abram in a vision, and Ab Abram's afraid. 
And, and God speaks directly to him. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said, fear not, Abram. I am your what? I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. You don't have to be afraid, Abram, because I'm going to be your shield to protect you. The second Samuel chapter 22 King David, this is what we know as David's song of of deliverance. Verse number one, just listen to this song that he he cries out to the Lord. David spoke to the Lord the words of the song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And David was a warrior, but man, he's singing praise to God, a song of deliverance. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my what? My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. He's my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. You drop down further in the song. Verse number 30, he says, for by you, listen to the confidence that David has in the Lord. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. Why? Because this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a what? He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. He is the one who saves. He is the one who gives victory. He is the one in whom we can take refuge and be saved from our enemies. Psalm 28, verse seven, it says, the Lord is my strength and my, and my what? My shield. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song, I shall give thanks to him. Proverbs 30, verse five, One more time, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. To everyone who runs to him, man, he will be your shield. We need a shield to protect us. You know, I love that we saw a couple weeks ago, I think on Easter Sunday, There were seven I am statements from Jesus in the book of John. And one of those statements was, I am the door. And he was talking about, he's talking about he himself was the the entrance into a relationship with God. But I love the imagery. When you think about Paul saying, hey, take up the shield of faith. And the the shield was, was like a door. Jesus says, I am the door. I will be your shield. I will be your protection if you will take refuge in me. The enemy's attack, it's relentless, but God himself is our shield. Here's the third thought that flows out of this, is that faith in God is what extinguishes the darts. Faith in God, that is our shield. That is what extinguishes the darts. So let let me talk about this idea of faith for a few minutes, and then I want to talk about what it means to extinguish. All right, so faith. It's a very big, broad idea, especially when it comes to the church. All right, so what is, what is faith all about? We sang about it earlier. What is faith? If you look up a dictionary definition, it's pretty simple. It's confidence or trust 
in a person or thing. It's confidence or trust in a person or thing. So faith always has an object, right? And, you know, most, you know, every preacher, we all do this. Uh, the, the classic illustration of faith or an object that we place our faith in that everybody uses, you know what it is? It's a chair. You know, you know my spiel, all right? Uh, so you didn't think about it when you walked in, but when you had a seat, you had full faith, you had full confidence and trust that that chair was going to support the weight of your body, right? You had faith. It reminds me of my son Aiden a couple weeks ago uh, on Easter Sunday outside. We, you know, brought our own lawn chairs and he was sitting in this old red lawn chair that like <laughs> fell apart on him and like gave way while we were in the middle, you know, of me preaching. And I'm like, well, his faith in lawn chairs is probably going to waver from this point on. You know what I'm saying? He didn't think about it before, but I, I promise you he'll think about it every time he sits down in a lawn chair from now on. But we use that example uh, of faith, the object of our faith. I think about a year ago, my wife and I, Annette, we went on a, a cruise for the first time. You've heard me talk about it because it was the best. Um, we went on this cruise ship. It was the very first time. And you know what? We wouldn't have stepped foot on this gigantic boat had we not had full confidence and trust that we weren't going like, to experience a, t- a Titanic moment. You know what I'm saying? That we weren't going to end up like Jack and Rose on a, you know, whatever, on a piece of wood. We had full confidence that we were going to get to sail around the Caribbean and come back in one piece, right? So full confidence and trust in a person or a thing. And when we talk about faith in God, God is the object of our faith. And so biblically, here's the definition. I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one. The Bible defines this for it, defines this for us. Hebrews 11, verse one, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So when we think about faith biblically, when we think about faith in in God, it's it's this firm conviction that we have in in, in what is true. And so for us, that, that firm conviction is that God is real, that God exists, that his word is true. It's this firm conviction that leads to confidence and trust. In other words, because you have have a conviction that that chair is going to hold you up, you have confidence to sit down in it. Because we, we have faith, we have conviction that God is real, that his word is true. Man, we have confidence and trust and who he is, and what he's doing. This is what biblical faith is. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, we know it as the, as the hall of faith. It's this, this incredible description of person after person who acted in faith. By faith, Moses did this, and by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Noah. And it goes throughout this whole list of followers of God who who believed that God was real and powerful. And so they act, they acted based upon that conviction of what was true. This is what faith is all about. And and, and none of them got to see the fulfillment of what they put their faith in. They didn't get to see that played out. And yet they believed in what they could not see. This is what faith is. And faith is the the primary marker 
of a Christ follower. Every person that would claim to be a Christian, is, it's the thing that sets us apart is this idea of faith. Our relationship with God begins by putting our faith in God, in Jesus, and it continues. The way we grow, the way that we continue to move along in this, in this life is by faith. It's the primary marker. But how many of you know that this doesn't mean that your faith is never going to waver, right? Some of you may be going through a season where your faith is, is kind of on shaky ground. You're like, I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if this is true. I don't know if God's word is accurate because what I'm experiencing right now is tough. It's difficult. I don't see God in the midst of what I'm going through. Faith can waver. In fact, you see in, in, in Mark chapter 9, 24, a, a man who wanted his daughter to be healed by Jesus. And he said, I, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. It's like, I believe, but my faith is wavering. God, I need you to help, help strengthen my unbelief. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus having a conversation with one of his, one of his disciples, Simon Peter. And he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Like Jesus is having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Peter. And he, and he tells him, like, man, would this not blow your mind if he's like, hey, you know what? Satan came to me and he, he wanted me to turn you over to him because he just wants to devour you. He wants to tear you limb from limb. This is what Jesus tells Peter. But he goes on to say, but I have prayed for you. I haven't prayed that you would escape the attack. I haven't prayed that you would be removed from the sifting. Jesus prayed for this. He said, I prayed that your faith would not fail. I prayed that your faith would not fail. I know it's going to maybe waver, but I'm praying that your faith isn't going to cease, that it's not going to stop, that it's not going to come to an end. You know, one of the most discouraging things that I think I see as a pastor is, uh, you know, looking out, looking out at the landscape of like the church, the global church. And it seems like all the time there's another Christian leader, one pastor after another, who renounces their faith, who after a life of following God, all of a sudden, or it's seemingly all of a sudden, they just declare, hey, I'm not even a Christian anymore. I mean, this last week, there was another Christian leader. His name is Paul Maxwell. I don't know who he is, but he is a writer for Desiring God. And I read a lot of their stuff. And so I'm like, I've probably read this guy's stuff before. But he came out with a post on Instagram and it was like, hey, I just want to tell the world I'm not a Christian anymore. And I'm the happiest I've probably ever been in my life. And this happens all the time. More and more from Christian leaders. And, you know, I see that. And I'm like, man. Ugh, I hate that. I hate seeing that. Well, you know, Paul Maxwell, I don't, I don't know anything about him. Maybe I've read some of his stuff. I don't know anything about him. But one thing I do know is this, that Jesus prayed for him. And you know what Jesus prayed for him? He prayed that his faith would not fail. It's the same thing he prays for all of us. 
He says, I get it. Your faith is going to falter. You may have to pray, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But Jesus says, I'm praying for you that your faith would not fail. I'm praying that it wouldn't fail. This, 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 this idea of faith, man, it's central to who we are. God's desire is that we would be full of faith and that everything that we do would be an act of faith. In fact, back in Hebrews 11, that, that great hall of faith, he said in verse number six, he said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God without faith for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The writer says, man, you can't even please God unless you act in faith. And you know, some of us, especially if you've been around church for a long time, it's like, hey, just do the right thing, do the right thing, honor God with your life. But, but here's what the writer says. He says, you could spend your whole life doing the right thing, doing the right thing, doing the right thing. But if you don't have the right heart, if you don't have a heart of faith that believes God, that believes that he exists and he will reward you if you follow him, it doesn't matter if you do the right thing because it won't please God. You know what, person after person after person, leader after leader after leader would declare, I'm not a Christian anymore. And I would question, did you ever have faith in the first place or were you just going through the motions of doing the right thing and doing the right thing and doing the right thing because you're supposed to? Because if you don't have a heart for God and you don't really believe that he exists, man, it's easy to, quote unquote, fall away from the faith because you never had any faith to begin with. And so y'all, this is a wake up call for every single one of us to examine if we are in the faith because this is the primary marker of who we are. Faith is central to who we are and how we are to live 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And again, I think one of the reasons why so many of us fall and fail and sin so doggone often is because we don't walk by faith. We walk by sight. We walk by what we see. We're distracted by all the flaming arrows. And we don't live and walk by faith. And so faith is central to who we are and how we live. And and faith helps us to fight against temptation and sin. Paul says that the shield of faith extinguishes those flaming darts. So I want to talk about that word extinguish. When I say that word, what, what picture comes up in your mind when I say extinguish? Fire extinguisher, right? That's probably the only time we ever use that word for the most part. So we get the idea of, of a fire being put out by a fire extinguisher, okay? Uh, another example I was thinking about just in a practical, real-world, everyday scenario, okay? I think about sitting down at a table and a plate of food that has been prepared is like, man, I'm hungry, my belly is on fire, I'm ready to dig in. You know what will extinguish my appetite quicker than anything is a hair on my plate. Is anybody with me? 
Is any, anybody with me? Am I just the only weird one? Okay, even if it's my wife, even if I know it's my wife's hair. Okay, I love my wife. She's the love of my life, but I don't want to eat her hair. You know what I'm saying? It kind of grosses me out. And, you know, especially if it's in a restaurant. Who knows where that thing came from? Going right back to the kitchen, right? It, my appetite has been snuffed out, right? It's been extinguished. And so when we talk about the fiery darts, the flaming arrows of the evil one, we're talking about temptation and, and attack from the enemy coming after us. And the way that we, we snuff those out, the way that we extinguish those, again, is not through, let me think better thoughts, let me try harder, let me be better. Should we act in wisdom, set up boundaries, run away from tempting situations? Absolutely. But the thing that's going to extinguish those flaming arrows that come at us is faith in our God who saves. It's faith in God that extinguishes the darts. It's that faith in God and his power that is going to put out those fires. We need a spiritual shield, which means we need to, again, this is why I think that the terminology is so important. We need to over and over and over again take up a shield of faith. Take up a shield of faith. You know, faith is, is listed in the scriptures. There's different passages that talk about spiritual gifts. When we put our faith in Christ, God gives us, he gifts us with certain, a certain one or more spiritual gifts like teaching or serving or giving. There's any number of, of spiritual gifts, one of them being the spiritual gift of faith. Now, I don't know if you, you ever have explored or discovered any of your spiritual gifts, but when I do kind of these spiritual gift surveys or inventories or tests, the one that always comes up number one for me, number one, and I see it in my life, is faith. It, it means God has given me some supernatural degree of faith where I just have so much confidence and who God is, and that what he says is true, and that he's going to come through, and that he's always working, whether I can see it or sense it or not, is my number one spiritual gift is faith. But you know what? There are still many, many, many moments and days and seasons where I have to intentionally take up the shield of faith because I struggle with what I cannot see, just like you do. And so we're to take up this shield of faith because this is the thing that is gonna extinguish the darts, the fiery, flaming arrows. We need a spiritual shield. We need to take up our shield, to place day in and day out our trust, our confidence in Christ who saves, to set our mind and our heart on him, to allow him to extinguish the pride that wells up, to allow him to snuff out the lust that comes after us, to extinguish the fear that so easily overtakes us. We need to allow him to extinguish the anger 
the fire of anger that bubbles up within us. And the only way that we're going to put out those fires and extinguish those flames is by taking up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Our faith in our strong God who saves will shield us from the enemy's attacks. Our faith in our strong God who saves will shield us from the enemy's attacks. So let me just spend the last couple minutes we have. I just want to ask this practical question. Because all of us, our faith wavers. You may be in a season of intense wavering in your faith. So how do we increase our faith? Let me give you a couple big ideas here. First, a way that we increase our faith is we consider his faithfulness. You want to increase your faith? Think about his faithfulness. Consider his faithfulness. First of all, in the Bible, again, Hebrews 11 is a great place to go, but if you go from cover to cover, the story of God throughout all the ages, you'll see the story of God's faithfulness to his people, that God is always at work and God is always doing something and he's always faithful and he never fails. And he always comes through, not in the ways that we always want him to, but he is faithful. And so, Consider his faithfulness in the Bible. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We need the scriptures. We need to see his faithfulness throughout this book if we're gonna increase in our faith. And so if you're struggling in your faith, man, maybe one of the reasons is because you've forgotten his faithfulness and you're not constantly digging in and considering his faithfulness through the ages in the Bible, but then also consider his faithfulness in your life, in your own life. I talk about God's track record. If you you were to stop and consider God's track record in your life, his history in your life, if you were to be honest, man, there's been highs and lows, there's been struggles, but the common theme you would see is God's faithfulness through all of that. Consider his faithfulness. We'll talk more about that in a second. But also not just in your life, but in others' lives. You know why it's so important that we do what we do every week? You know why we start these these groups, these community and connection groups that we're starting? Why it's important is because we need to see God's work and God's activity in the people around us. Because it encourages us. It strengthens our faith Listen, for some of you, the only way that you're going to get through some of the things that you're going through is because of others around you and their faith and their ability to lift up the shield of faith, to encourage you and to come alongside you and to remind you of God's faithfulness to you and to them. So consider his faithfulness. That will increase your faith. But then one other big way that we increase our faith is this. We learn to trust him by stepping out in faith. We learn to trust him by stepping out in faith. And here's here's what I, I mean by this, is we put ourselves in places where we are dependent on God to come through. We're in a place where like, God, if you don't show up, if you don't do something, man, I am toast. I need you to come through. 
we put ourselves in those situations where we're, we're uncomfortable, where God's got to deliver, God's got to come through. For some of us, the reason we never grow in our faith is because we never put ourselves in a place where we're uncomfortable, where we're depending on God to show up. Because here's, here's what happens. When we obey God's word, when God tells us, think about all the things that God instructs us to do in scripture. Almost zero of them are things that we naturally want to do on our own. Think about some of the things that God calls us to do. Like giving. Okay, let me bring up giving financially. A concept in scripture is tithing, giving 10% of, of our resources, our financial resources. Listen, when you give to the church, when you give back to God, that is always, always an act of faith. It is always an act of faith to trust that God could actually do more with the 10% that you give away than with the 90% that you keep. That's stepping out in faith. But when you step out in faith, and some of you have this testimony that you started giving even though you felt like, man, I can't afford this. Listen, I have for 20 years, for going on 18 years, raised children on a one-income one household, a pastor's income at that. And God, and we have always given, and God has always, always provided. And so you know what? We can look back over 20 years of marriage and 18 years of raising kids, and we see God came through. God was faithful. God didn't let us go hungry. God always, always, always provided for us. And so, you know what? I can look back on this track record, not of our goodness, but of God's faithfulness. You step out and serve. It's not natural unless you've got, the, it's supernatural. You maybe have given, been given the gift, the spiritual gift of serving others. But man, it's not natural to serve others, to step out into uncomfortable places. But when you do and you trust God and God shows up and he doesn't let you fall flat on your face, he doesn't let you fail, God actually comes through and God actually uses you to share your faith or to help others in their faith. You know what happens is God starts building the track record in your life. And you look at anybody who you would look at and go, man, they have such strong faith. Listen, that doesn't come overnight. That comes step by step, stepping out in faith and trusting that God has the strength and the ability to sustain that step of faith. And that he's going to come through and he's going to deliver and he's going to do his thing through you. That is how faith increases step by step, day by day. It increases as we step out in faith. So how do we increase our faith we consider his faithfulness, and we learn to trust him by stepping out in faith. Let me share one last thought to, to wrap this up. When it comes to this idea of a shield of faith, shields are most effective. Hear me now. Shields are most effective when they're locked together. You know, back in this time of, of these, these Roman... Um, you know, these door-like shields, they were created in such a way that they could kind of come together and form almost like this, this wall. Uh, in fact, there was this formation that they would use called the, uh, and I don't know, I, I may be butchering this, but the testudo formation, okay, which literally just means like a turtle formation. And so we'll put this picture up on the screen here, and this is what it might look like, where 
you know, all these soldiers gather together and they build kind of this wall and almost like this shell to protect them. So you imagine the flaming arrows coming in and man, they're, they're, they're banded together. They've locked arms, they've locked shields together. They're alongside one another. There's this covering that's protecting them. Man, this is when shields are their most effective. And this is, this is true in our, our walk of faith, in our fight of faith. Yes, we're called to take up our shields, but we're not called to take up our shields on our own. We need one another. We need one another. And I said it earlier, some of you are going through the fight of your life. There's people in our church that are going through it that may not even have the strength to take up a shield. Maybe that's you. And what you need and what we all need, we all go through seasons where we need the body of Christ, the army of God, the other warriors of Christ to come alongside us, to pick up their shields, to cover us, to come alongside us, to lock arms with us, to help protect us in the battle. This is the beauty of the church and what he's called us to be. This whole thing about taking up our armor, putting on our armor, it's not written to individuals, it's written to the church, the people of God. The way that shields are most effective is when we lock shields together. Because if you're isolated, if you're trying to walk in faith on your own, if you're trying to grow in faith on your own, if you're trying to fight, against temptation on your own. If you're isolated, you will soon be annihilated. You can't do it on your own. And this is why we're starting groups. This is why we do partnership. This is why we do the things that we do because we believe that full life is found in Christ, in community, and on mission. Y'all, God is faithful. He has provided us everything that we need to shield us and to protect us in this battle that we find ourselves in, in our faith, in our strong God who saves, is gonna be the shield that protects us. Would you bow your heads? I wanna pray with you and I wanna pray for you. I don't know where you are. I don't know how you would describe your faith on this 18th of April, 2021, in this year, in this season of life, I don't know if you would describe your faith as strong and unwavering, or maybe you would sit in this room or be watching online and say, man, my faith is, is faltering. And man, I'm trying to do the right thing and I'm trying to do what I know is right, but man, I'm struggling. Aren't you thankful that you don't have to manufacture faith, that you're trying harder, that you're being a better person? That's not going to help. God himself is our shield. 
And so maybe today, the call to you, maybe the Spirit is speaking to your heart and saying, man, would you just give this to me fully? I know you did yesterday and I know you will again tomorrow, but today, would you, would you give this to me? and lock shields with them, that you may be the instrument of God to help someone continue firm in their faith. God, I pray for every single person in here, Lord, every single person that's listening. God, I pray for our faith. Lord, your desire we know is that we would live and walk breathe and act and do everything in faith and yet you know what we're made of and you know that our faith falters and that we struggle. God, bring us back again this morning to realize, to confess, to trust in the truth that you are, that you are real, that you are powerful and that you are faithful above all things. God, would you meet us right where we're at this morning? Jesus' name.